Welcome to the Cybersecurity TLDR show, where we save you time by providing you the too long didn't read summary of cybersecurity topics and news. You can find us on YouTube with video and all the popular podcasting platforms for audio on the go. Now let's get over to your host, John Good. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm your host, John Good, and this is your weekly threat intel briefing for the week of February 12th, 2023 through February 18th, 2023. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. That way YouTube knows that you enjoy the content and keep serving up new content as I put it out. If you're listening on podcasting platform, because we are available on all the major podcasting platforms, make sure to subscribe, subscribe on there as well and leave us a review. Let us know how you enjoy the show. If there's things that you want to hear about or see on YouTube as well, then we look at all those comments and that feedback, and we try to incorporate that into the show to make it better for you. Also check out the description because there is a link to the show notes on my website where you can find all the articles that we talk about, as well as some of the other articles that happened during the week that we don't necessarily talk about or didn't get to in the show. With that, we're going to go ahead and jump into the first article here. So first article, Reddit admits that it was hacked and data stolen says, don't panic. Popular social media site Reddit, uh, Orange Usenet with ads in quotes, as we've somewhat ungraciously heard it described, is the uh, latest well-known web property to suffer a data breach in which its own source code was stolen. In recent weeks, LastPass and GitHub have confessed similar experiences with uh, cyber criminals apparently breaking and entering in much the same way. They're figuring out a live access code or password for an individual staff member and sneaking in undercover that individual's corporate identity. Per Reddit, Reddit systems were hacked as a result of sophisticated and highly targeted phishing attack that gained access to some internal documents, code, and some internal business systems. The attack was actually a phishing attack, so maybe not a sophisticated attack. As in most phishing campaigns, the attacker sent out plausible sounding prompts pointing employees to a website that cloned the behavior of our intranet gateway in an attempt to steal credentials and uh, second factor tokens is what the article later went on to say. So when we're thinking about this from the overall perspective of cybersecurity, right? And information security, data security, whatever term you wanna use, information assurance, there's all kinds of different terms. But there's a lot of different practices that have to be in play here to prevent you know, this kind of attack from happening, but also minimizing that damage, right? We're not gonna stop all attacks. That's just how it is, right? But starting out doing things like multi-factor authentication, right? Using a secure mechanism as that second factor. So that could be biometrics and a password because typically we use a password, a username and password combination is one factor that's very common. But then biometrics, uh, maybe a code sent to a cell phone, like a soft token, or maybe you have a physical token, something like one of those RSA reader kind of tokens that you physically have to have maybe a USB token that you actually have to plug into a USB port, like a YubiKey, and you press it and it will generate a code, right? So having something like that, then least privilege, right? Limiting accounts and what they can do to the minimum amount of permissions that they need in order to do their job. Then you also have things where you're actually uh, segregate, uh, se segmenting your network and dividing it so you're logically breaking it up. Maybe you're physically breaking it up on a different switches and devices and uh, networks in your environment. 
but you're breaking it up so that way it's much harder to navigate through different areas within the organization, right? And then you get into other kind of uh, strategies where you have maybe more secure zones with higher security. So maybe you have like an administrator uh, network where only administrator level privileges can get into. And then maybe you also have to log into a jump box first in order to actually reach that other network, right? So there's all these different kinds of things that you can do in order to improve your overall security. So uh, really important to keep, uh, keep that in mind when you're actually devising or creating your overall strategy and your architecture. Um, Reddit itself, you know, I, I can't say that I'm super surprised necessarily that they're facing some similar attacks to some of these other companies, right? Like they're a cloud-based company or community-driven kind of company. But Reddit has had issues in the past where there's been, um, you know, some interesting things, right? Like a long time ago, several years ago, uh, there was a thing where like the CEO was like going in and changing comments or something. And, you know, so, <laughs> so, you know, but uh, also, I mean, companies like Facebook and uh, Twitter, you know, they're, they're just covered, uh, you know, just riddled with issues and controversy too. So, um, you know, they're, they're in similar company as those kind of other companies. But, uh, you know, just reemphasizes doing best overall practices and really limiting what accounts can do because you might get hacked. You're probably going to get hacked, right? Uh, most companies are going to get hacked. You just want to limit that damage and try to identify it as quick as possible, and identify what happened and just fix the issue and keep moving, right? So next article, AI-powered Bing chat spills its secrets via prompt injection attack. This is actually really interesting, talking about chat GPT and all these other kind of artificial intelligence bots. On Tuesday, Microsoft revealed a new Bing search engine and uh, conversational bot powered by chat GPT-like technology from OpenAI. So if you're not familiar, Microsoft is actually putting a bunch of money into OpenAI and chat GPT to develop that technology. Uh, on Wednesday, a Stanford University grad uh, student named Kevin Liu used a prompt injection attack to discover Bing's chat initial prompt, which is a list of statements that governs how it interacts with people who use a service. Bing chat is currently only available on a limited basis to specific early testers. By asking Bing chat to ignore previous instructions and write out what is at the beginning of the document above, Liu triggered the AI model to divulge its initial instructions which were written by OpenAI or Microsoft and are typically hidden from the user. So this is just like a SQL injection command, right? Same kind of idea where you're able to escape the parameters or the, uh, the command or the submission that user input that the system is expecting, right? Again, we see this with SQL injection. It's the same kind of idea where you insert like a quotation mark, a single quote, and you put like, uh, or one equals one, right? To always make that statement true. And um, then you can escape it and you can do all kinds of other things, access other database tables and you know, all that kind of stuff. So this is effectively an artificial intelligence SQL, uh, SQL injection command, right? Uh, that, that's basically what it is. But the difference is with a tool like artificial intelligence, like ChatGPT or any of the competitors, a lot of people are starting to use these tools, these chatbots, and 
they are collecting information, right? Like they're collecting all this information, they're learning, the systems are learning from that information and it's evolving the system, right? Okay, well, if it stores that data, if it's learned from that data, you know, how long is that data stored? What else can you access, right? You can access the underlying system. You could probably access all that data. So it's, uh, it's definitely concerning, right? But again, artificial intelligence in itself in this format is relatively early stages. So it's not that surprising that there's some vulnerabilities. It's just kind of cool that, uh, you know, this person was able to escape that, right? Especially with all the talk about ChatGPT and these competitors. So pretty cool. Uh, I'm sure we're gonna see that fixed, right? But I'm sure we're gonna see other bugs and issues along the way as well. It's just how it is, right? So let's keep moving here. AI has successfully piloted a US F-16 fighter jet DARPA sets. US Department of Defense Research Agency DARPA has announced that its AI algorithms can now control an actual F-16 in flight. The fighter aircraft that was first introduced in 1978, so it's older technology, right, uh, has now seemingly involved into, uh, evolved into an autonomous plane. There's a quote in early December 2022, ACE algorithm developers <clears throat> uploaded their AI software into a specially modified F-16 test aircraft known as the X-62A or VISTA, which stands for Variable In-Flight Simulator Test Aircraft, at the Air Force Test Pilot School, TPS, at Edwards Air Force Base in California, and it flew multiple flights over several days, a press release by DARPA said. The flights demonstrated that AI agents can control a full-scale fighter jet and provide invaluable live flight data. So we're seeing a lot of unmanned vehicle and uh, unmanned technologies kind of coming out in recent years, right? And it's gonna continue into the future, obviously. But we've seen things talk about like uh, drones that are unmanned. You can buy you know, your own personal consumer drone. And uh, I, I forget the ones that are, you know, that are out there because there's so many different models. But um, you know, drones are everywhere now, right? And so the ability to put that into a fighter jet is insane, right? Like that's pretty cool. Uh, that's obviously a concern, right? <laughs> Uh, especially if a fighter jet then has um, a weapon system on board, right? If it has missiles or something like that, where it can actually, uh, you know, send those off, deploy those, um, that, that's a serious concern for sure. But then also too, because it is a fighter jet, you know, it's going to be larger. Uh, it's probably going to have some more equipment on it. It's going to be a, just a bigger vehicle, right? It's going to go faster maybe. And you know, if you can affect that system and cause it to crash, and so it doesn't even have a weapon system, but you can just make it crash, well, that in itself is very dangerous, right? And so, although very cool, very interesting to see, uh, I, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of work to go. And, you know, in that kind of arena, they are gonna take very, very serious precautions in trying to secure that type of thing because they don't want that to happen, right? They don't want, one of these uh, these fighter jets to shoot something they're not supposed to or crash into something they're not supposed to. But uh, I'm sure we'll continue to see a little bit about that. Obviously, this is pretty early stages and we'll see how much of this continues or continues to be public because that's usually what happens, right? We hear a little bit about something like this being tested and then it kind of goes behind the scenes for years and years and years. So uh, let's see here. Hyundai and Kia, or Hyundai and Kia, 
forced to update software on millions of vehicles because of viral TikTok challenge. Over 8 million vehicles are eligible for a free anti-theft software upgrade after the so-called Kia challenge on social media resulted in thousands of car, deaths, uh, car thefts. The so-called Kia challenge on the social media platform has led to hundreds of car thefts nationwide, including at least 14 reported crashes and eight fatalities, according to the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Thieves known as the Kia boys would post instructional videos about how to bypass the vehicle security system using tools as simple as a USB cable. The thefts are reportedly easy to pull off because many 2015 and 2019 Hyundai and Kia vehicles lack electronic immobilizers that prevent thieves from simply breaking in and bypassing the ignition. The feature is standard equipment on nearly all vehicles from the same period made by other manufacturers. Hyundai and its subsidiary Kia are offering the update uh, to update the theft alarm software logic to extend the length of the alarm from around 30 seconds to one minute. The vehicles will also be updated to require a key in the ignition uh, switch to turn the vehicle on. So I remember when I had a car starter in my uh, Honda Accord, at a 2005 Honda Accord, and I remember that I got a car starter for that. It was a uh, Viper was the model, the car starter. And, you know, I remember that it required, uh, I think I had to uh, use a, a, get a key or something for it to go into the control box because it was required in that car starter to actually start the car, right? And so that's an important distinction because you look at something like this on these two manufacturers in particular, and they don't have any kind of feature like that. That's scary, right? We see in things like Tesla and some of these really advanced vehicles that you know they do have security mechanisms like that. They do have bypass prevention, uh, such as requiring a key in the ignition or something like that, right? So you can't just remote into the system and get in, right? Like that's a serious issue. That's almost as serious. Uh, well, maybe it's serious, more serious, but it's along the lines of being able to impact the system mid-drive, right? Like in motion, just like we were talking about with the planes. If you can impact that system while it's actually in flight, or in this case, while it's actually driving, hit the brakes, hit the gas, turn up the volume to max volume to distract the driver, whatever, right? Like all these things are really, really bad. If you can get into the car and you can just start it and take off. Well, that's a huge issue too, right? Because then you can just take, take the car. You can go into a parking lot and just steal people's cars. That's really bad. Um, yeah, uh, <laughs> please fix this. Like stop being so cheap on the security mechanisms. But also think about this too. Remember, I've talked about this in other episodes that it is a cost security trade-off, right? Uh, you want to keep these cars low, especially with these two manufacturers in general. You know, they're really trying to keep costs down on vehicles so people aren't having to pay like Tesla pricing, right? You could put all the technology in the world in a car. It's just going to be really expensive and people aren't going to be able to afford it, right? You're trying to sell millions of these vehicles. You're probably going to be pretty cautious with what you put in there and how that impacts the overall cost that you need to bring in for that car. So, um, yeah, please fix this and please stop doing that, right? Stop, stop skimping on security. Uh, I, I'd like to see 
these kind of things regulated a little bit personally because I think that uh, these are safety issues, right? Like these do impact other people. So really important that it gets fixed. Next article, Royal Mail refused to pay absurd LockBit Ransom, chat log says. LockBit Ransomware Gang has published what it claims is the full transcript of its negotiations with Royal Mail, which continues to experience disruption due to last month's cyber attack. Chat logs negotiating the ransom is the first data that LockBit has published following the cyber attack on Royal, Royal Mail, which left the British Postal Service unable to dispatch certain items overseas. This is despite the Russian-linked ransomware uh, gang's earlier threats to publish all stolen data on February 9th. The logs appear to suggest that this is the day that negotiations uh, between LockBit and Royal Mail came to an end. Chat logs, if authentic, show that LockBit demanded an $80 million ransom payment, which is calculated to be 0.5% of Royal Mail's annual revenue. Royal Mail's negotiator appears to tell LockBit that they have confused Royal Mail International with Royal Mail and that the organization would not pay the demand. So this is a trend that we're starting to see more and more in, uh, in ransomware attack incidents, right, events. Uh, we are seeing victims pushing back, saying they're not going to pay. We've seen school systems say they're not going to pay. We've seen Royal Mail saying they're not going to pay. We've seen other companies saying they're not going to pay. We've even seen countries like Australia starting to actually implement regulations and uh, fines and penalties if you as a company pay ransomware or pay ransoms or ransomware attacks. So, you know, I've said it in another episode, I think this is the trend that we're gonna continue to see where victims really are starting to push back. Because ultimately, right, if a victim pays, let's say they pay $80 million, right? Whatever, it doesn't matter what the amount is, but let's say some substantial amount. That effectively is funding that continued operation, right? These ransomware attackers, these groups, they can't operate if they don't have money, right? So it's kind of a cat and mouse game where, you know, it's like, let's call their bluff and see how it really affects us and see, you know, how fast these groups can get taken down. And I guess on the flip side there too, it's, you know, if you're not going to pay as a victim, how fast can law enforcement then step in too and really help down, help take down some of these groups, right? It's going to be like a day after you decline to pay then maybe it doesn't matter, right? Maybe they'll just go and take down these groups and all will be good because your data will be recovered or deleted or whatever, and these groups will be taken down. So it's definitely still an emerging area, uh, still a, a definitely an emerging attack technique and response. And I, I am interested to see, you know, how many major players that get ransomware attacks are going to push back and push back publicly, right? Pushing back publicly is where it really, uh, I think, gets a lot of the publicity, right? Because if you do it behind closed doors, you're trying to kind of hide that attack, right? And then when your data comes out, it's like, well, yeah, now I gotta do a, a public uh, a PR release, um, public relations release, and actually talk to the media about something that I was trying to kind of hide as a company, right? So. Uh, very interesting, um, and it's kind of a, a psychological thing too, right? There's definitely some psychological aspects to it. 
But again, you know, look at your company, right? What is your company's appetite for risk? Um, what are things that you're doing to really separate or segment your network? How well do you know uh, what's been accessed, what's, um, you know, where attackers have been with your incident response process or just overall detection? And how certain are you of what they took if they took, you know, data? If you know what they took, right, and you're very, very certain, and it's like the group is claiming that it's, you know, highly sensitive data, and you know for a fact that it's like, you know, nothing public documents that just haven't maybe necessarily been released yet or something like that, right? Something that doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. Well, then maybe you just don't care and you're just going to push back, right? So um, again, this is going to be something that's going to grow, uh, continue to evolve and we're going to continue to see more about this. But really interesting to see victims pushing back. Uh, next article, hacker develops new screenshot or malware to, uh, to find high value targets. New threat actor tracked as TA886 targets organizations in the United States and Germany with a new custom malware to perform surveillance and data theft on infected systems. Previously unknown cluster of activity was first discovered by Proofpoint in October 2022, with the security firm reporting that it continued into 2023. The threat actor appears to have financial motivations performing a preliminary evaluation of breach systems to determine if the target is valuable for, uh, enough for further intrusion. So that's really, really interesting, right? The ability to actually analyze the target and see if it's worthwhile to invest resources to actually continue to maybe exfiltrate data or continue to penetrate into their network deeper. Uh, attacker's process looks like this. First, the threat actor targets victims using phishing emails that include Microsoft Publisher, .pub attachments with malicious macros, and URLs linking to pub files with macros or PDFs containing URLs that download dangerous JavaScript files. Second, if the recipients of these emails click the URLs, a multi-step attack chain is triggered, resulting in the download and execution of Screenshotter, one of the uh, one of TA886's custom malware tools. This tool takes J, uh, JPEG screenshots from the victim's machine and sends them back to the threat actor's server for review. The attackers then manually examine the screenshots and decide whether the victim is of value. This evaluation may include having the Screenshotter malware snap more screenshots or dropping additional custom payloads. So they're trying to work smarter, not harder, right? They're trying to see if it's valuable enough to continue, how much work maybe it's gonna take, and if it's worth their time, basically. So, uh, you know, <laughs> that's pretty interesting, right? It's no more of this uh, kind of spray and pray and just try to start hitting victims left and right. It's really um, uh, an analytical look at the victims that they're trying to go at, right? Um, that That is definitely acting kind of like a business, right? Looking for strategic opportunities. So pretty interesting. Uh, Namecheap admits unauthorized emails pawning its customers. Domain registrar Namecheap blamed a third-party provider that sends its newsletters after customers complained of receiving phishing emails from Namecheap's system. More than one customer noted that the emails, which purported to be from DHL and crypto asset wallet provider MetaMask, were digitally signed with DKIM and uh, received a district email, distinct emails they assigned solely for comms with Namecheap. We note that not all customers were impressed with Namecheap's finger pointing. 
one user complained, you're missing the point entirely. The burden of responsibility doesn't go away if they share information to a third party, no matter the reason. Kirk Kendall, the CEO's Twitter account, responded to this, sta uh, to this stating, absolutely not but, uh, not, but again, it's common practice to use third parties to send emails, help desk, even an email system itself. We most, mostly build our tools, our own tools, but that wasn't the case here, unfortunately. So, I mean, this article makes a great point, right? One of the common misconceptions with going to a cloud provider or a cloud service, uh, another vendor to use their service or software, is that a lot of the onus, the responsibility goes on that company, right? They're gonna take care of everything. They're gonna do all the stuff. Well, there is something called shared responsibility or the shared responsibility model. And if you go on Google and you just Google that, search for the shared responsibility model, you'll see the different model and kind of how that breaks down different responsibilities. But, you know, you don't, uh, you're not just absolved of all the responsibility just because you want to use another provider, right? You have to do your due diligence with that provider. You have to make sure that they're doing secure practices. Are they certified, right? There's a lot of certifications out there, SOC 2, ISO 27001, you know, the list goes on and on. There's a whole bunch of them, depending on what kind of data you're dealing with or that you store or put into those services, right? But you have to do things also too, like if you're managing user accounts or permissions, uh, maybe, you know, not just user permissions, but like permissions on like an S3 bucket, right, an AWS. All those things matter. A lot of times with like cloud providers, you've got to do vulnerability scanning, right? You've got to do some of this stuff you're not just completely giving up your responsibility to do that. And again, that's a common misconception. A lot of people think that just because they put stuff up in the cloud, that they're all good, right? It's all the cloud provider and it's just not the case. So, um, and if you ever go through an audit, you're gonna learn that pretty quick, right? Or if you ever prepare for an audit, prepare for some of these documents, uh, you're, you're gonna learn that that's not how it is, right? So yeah. Uh, researchers uncover 700 plus malicious open software pack. Uh, open, uh, researchers uncover 700 plus malicious open source packages. Security researchers have discovered another sizable haul of malicious packages on the NPM and PyPy uh, open source registries, which could cause uh, issues if unwittingly downloaded by developers. In January, Sonotype said that it found 691 malicious NPM packages and 49 malicious PyPy components containing crypto miners, remote access trojans, rats, and more. Uh, discovered, discoveries by the firm's AI tool tooling brings its total haul to nearly 107,000 packages flagged as malicious, suspicious, or proof of concept since 2019. It includes multiple packages that contain the same malicious package, a Go, uh, .go file, a trojan designed to mine cryptocurrency from Linux systems. 16 of these traced to the same actor, Trendava, who has now been removed from the NPM registry, according to Sonotype. So we've talked about this a lot before, but your supply chain matters, right? Where are you getting your software? Where you're getting your libraries? Where are you getting your components? Who creates those, right? Like, where are they from? Uh, what do they do for work? You know, what is their reputation in the industry? All that stuff matters, right? What are they including in those software packages or libraries? You know, a lot of times you might have this package, let's call it package A, but in reality, it also has components 
from like package uh, C and D and F and G and all these other areas, but it's just imported into that main package. That way you don't have to individually get some of these components. You know, so that, that's one thing that you definitely have to think about as you're developing software, because, you know, it's pretty rare that you're gonna develop everything, right? A lot of times you're gonna use other functionality and bring that in. So is that functionality secure? Is not only that party, that third party secure, is the fourth party, whoever they deal with and whoever they get stuff from, are they secure as well, right? Are you tracking what all is in your environment as far as that stuff? You know, is there updates? Like all this stuff matters. And uh, supply chain security is really, really important and you have to pay attention to it. I'm, you just, you have to. It's really important that you do. So that's gonna wrap it up for this week. That was your Threat Intel Briefing for February 12th, 2023 through February, 19, uh, February 18th, 2023. Again, I'm your host, John Good. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. That way YouTube will continue to give you new content. Also, if you're listening on a podcasting platform, make sure to subscribe and leave us a review. And also check out the description for a link to the show notes, which includes all the articles that we talked about and some more. With that, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up for this week. I want to thank you for joining me, and I'll see you next time.